Hey, Potential Podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in once again to the Potential Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, we'd like to take a moment and talk to you about something that means a lot to us. This podcast was created to be a source of fun and entertainment, and although we love to nerd out with you, one thing we do take serious is mental health. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, then our sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You can talk to your therapist in a private, safe, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise with BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. All you do is simply fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in just under 48 hours. After that, you can schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. And at any time, you can request a new therapist at no additional charge. Join the over 3 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Our listeners will get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com potential. That's betterhelp.com slash potential. Once again, that's 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash potential. Take charge of your mental health with BetterHelp. And remember, know your potential. Hey, Potential Podcast listeners. Let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in discreet packaging. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. These results are reviewed by a clinician, and a member of the Let's Get Checked nursing team may call you to review your results. And Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. So, if you want to avoid an uncomfortable office visit or prefer the convenience and get tested at home, visit trylgc.com potential and get 25% off your test using code POTENTIAL25. Once again, that's 25% off your test by going to trylgc.com potential using the promo code POTENTIAL25. Take charge of your physical health and well-being, and let's get checked. Look, Taylor, I could have been somebody. I could have been a contender. Uh, uh, Chris, that, that's not the right Brando movie. It's, that's a different movie. Stella! Okay, that, that's, that's not even close. That's t- another movie. What? Let's just let's just do the right one. Talking all things entertainment, pop culture, and nerdum. This is the Potential Podcast. Potential. 
Hello and welcome back to the Potential Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Dewar, and I'm joined by my co-host and the leader of the criminal mastermind family, uh, the Sokolionis. That kind of worked a little bit. Uh, Taylor Sokol, how are we doing, Taylor? You know, it's very nice. You offer respect to me, and uh, I appreciate that. So whatever you may ask or require, just let me know. Uh, that was good. Uh, sorry, I had a little slip in my throat here. <clears throat> uh, I like that. That was, was it uh, a cotton ball, <laughs> or was it a uh, was it a uh, a uh, a model of some fake teeth? I don't know. We'll get to that in a little yeah. bit. But um, here we are, man. We're yeah, we're mid November here. Um, so we're getting you know we're on our way soon to Thanksgiving. It's our next major holiday. But um, we you know we we talked last week. We were talking about our favorite PS4 games and. Uh, we did mention at the when we recorded that we did not have quite yet a decision about the election, but at this point in time, we do have a president-elect, Joe Biden, did indeed uh, win the election. So, um, of course, there's still some states still getting their final counts and some recounts, all that mumbo jumbo, but it's looking pretty good for Joe Biden. So that's going to be uh, the 46th president of these United States. So that's kind of interesting, but. Um, how are you feeling with the whole, uh, you know, we're kind of uh, really celebrating the fall uh, season right now. We got Thanksgiving coming up, you know. Yeah, it's it's interesting on my end on the East Coast because, yeah, November, it's the fall. and But the weather has been exceptionally nice over here in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And it's not typical for fall weather. But I'm really excited because with the election over pretty much and, you know, the year going to be ending, 2021 is around the corner. And. I'm excited to get into the holiday season. I mean, we just had a great Halloween. I enjoyed it. And I'm really pumped about Thanksgiving. And of course, with Halloween in October, we did a lot of Halloween-y themed. That's not really a word, but we're going to do it. And I think with Thanksgiving in November, it's the time of families and coming together. Coming together and celebrating what it means to be a family, being thankful for your family doing anything you could for your family, protecting your family. Yeah, forget about it. Forget about it. I mean, it's, you know, that's no biggie. So uh, I'm sure if you haven't guessed by now, um, we're going to be talking about today, kind of what is the pivotal uh, film of not only American cinema, but what, what would lead to the ideal kind of a whole genre of the kind of Italian mafia, the mob stirs the the gangster films that we would see after and even you know tv shows too such as like you know the sopranos and um we're talking today about the godfather trilogy all three films part one two and three and um i feel like before we even dive into you know we're starting here with the godfather I feel like for such a long time this film even though it, it definitely was not a film i didn't see in its entirety until i was much older it's just something that you it's like it's hard not to have heard about it even from a young age it's such a huge part of pop culture in terms of literally logo yeah literally ingrained the cast i mean it's like i feel like um you know i'm gonna make an offer you can't refuse it's probably like one of the most quoted lines from a movie like that is the one line of the movie that's probably like most people would know about you know there's just certain things about the godfather even if you've never seen it you know about it you know including marlon brando and his his look the way he talks that's such a mimicked 
and you know portrayed thing that a lot of people have parodied including we have parodied on this podcast already yeah. so um um what do you have any like earliest memories of your first time you know taylor taylor here is really the godfather like mega fan this week was my first time to watch part two and part three i'd only seen the godfather once or twice before so this was kind of like a new recheck for me but you're the bigger fan here what was your first time you can remember diving into the godfather i would have to say it was in my late teen years it was when i was in high school when i was first introduced to the godfather and it had to have been my 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 dad got me into that and he really was the one that i had watched you know all all of them together with and then i don't know what got drew me to the films i had known about them and um once i was of an age where i could watch them i saw the first one and it just had such an impact on me i think just i don't know what it was that to this day i still you're right chris i'm still obsessed like i know at least the first one i love them all in their own way but the first one i something about that is just ingrained in my soul of the the character and the and the story and it it's such a it is kind of a timeless tale in a sense but what that did for for me just kind of blew me away in terms of like people ask me like what's your favorite film if i had to pick one film godfather probably be the film that i could watch over and over again and i have it's always i pick up something new from it and it's a long film and i think that's what helps but my earliest memory was that time and it still struck a chord with me clearly uh to this day and so i think godfather and other films like that i've just become so obsessed with any kind of mafiosa film or any kind of crime drama i just am so glued into that and i think it also lended to yes we are in a time of you know this we've got a lot of these favorite shows of you know breaking bad and the boys and um 24 and uh, the shield and sopranos there's a lot of these shows where there's that anti-hero the person we root for they're not a really good person and all they're not a good person and no. yet we strive to uh, be on their side even though yeah this film kind of it's interesting you look at the film and you're following this crime family and what they're doing seems almost heroic when they're taking out other bad guys that are doing the exact same thing that they would be doing so it's like it's that weird yeah kind of feeling of like you're rooting for this mob family even though you know that they're doing dark deeds but it's something like well they're the family you're following they're the heroes of this picture so we've seen this now become a huge kind of icon in cinema and especially tv yeah the kind of anti-hero the person that you're not really supposed to root for them but for some reason you're you you you're like fully away. on board with them exactly there's something about yeah. that and they're and these characters in this movie are so complex and when you boil it down to it if you look at it without the crime elements it's a movie about family and it sounds really cheap, it is like it is. you could place this story in any time era the only thing that really pulls it to this time era is you know it's like the 30s and 40s and it's got that uh it's got the the look of the times the fashion the music all that you know it's right there for the the era but i mean you could have a this could be set in the 1800s you know and it or it could be set in you know 1600s poland or you know you could or even it doesn't matter where it's set or even like today but it really is. It's this idea of of the passing 
of the torch of, you know, we kind of get the sense or anything that Marlon Brando's character, Vito Corleone is, he's not really the healthiest looking guy. So it's not like he's probably got that much time left. And especially when you're shot five, six times within an hour of the film, you know, it's kind of like he is not really the main character, although he's the most marketed character for this film. uh, Certainly. But the passing of the torch of he's got three sons, who of those three sons would take over the family business, who would run it. And you kind of are, you're kind of given this picture of, um, you have the most obvious candidate because he Which seems the, the most hot headed and, and he's old, like oldest. And then you have the oldest who doesn't really seem to be as favored. And then you have the the youngest who doesn't, he's, he's trying to do everything right. He's trying to not be part of the family business. He's trying to, you know, he, he, you know, Michael joins the, the army and he, 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 you know, he doesn't want to really be in that line of business. But again, we've talked about this trope on this show many times before. The sins of the father follow right to your son. You know, you know, just like, I mean, it's like he, even when he tries to do everything by the book, in the end, he becomes his father. Yes. And he becomes even probably a worse version than his father, I would say, as we see the continuation of Michael in two and three. But for this first part here, we're talking about the godfather. So, uh, I, I'm not going to say spoilers for this. Yeah, this I mean, this is coming up on almost wow. 50, this almost 50 years ago, just about 48 years ago. This first one came out 1972, so it's been out for a while. Um, and is based off of a book by Mario Puzo, mm-hmm. and um, which is kind of cool that he actually was there to help you know write the script with Francis Ford Coppola. And it's very and it's very rare that there's always a time, there's so many adaptations from book to movie. Mm-hmm. The director and the author never really see eye to eye. And I thought was great about this one. It was a great collaboration, not just through that book, but through the rest of them. Through all of them, which is like pretty impressive that he'd be able to be there for all three and, you know, same director and mostly all the same casts. And, it, you know, yeah, it's like just because you're a, a brilliant author doesn't mean you're a good screenwriter. It's a very different medium to write dialogue and, you know, always when we see a book adaptation to a movie, you got to cut out a lot of stuff. You know, it's rare to keep a whole book unless you're going to do like it based on TV where you can have more time. The series, exactly. Now, in, I mean, in this is, case, yeah, this is, yeah, in this it's a case, three-hour movie, but yeah. they still had to cut stuff out. I will say, because I, uh, I actually read the book um, not too long yes. ago, I will say they did a very good faithful adaptation about it. The only main difference in the book to the movie is there is a lot more of the story of Johnny Fontaine, which is the, uh, the one singer. of the main over the, the beginning arcs of the story, Johnny Fontaine, the, the godson, and kind of the Frank Sinatra slash Dean Martin character of the, group yes. of the story. Um, it's, it's definitely an ode to, to the Rat Pack. Uh, and the whole, you know, make him an offer he can't refuse, starting off his story, there's a lot more in depth of his time in Hollywood and things like that. There's also a little bit more of, uh, Luca Brazzi, who is the kind of the big enforcer yeah. <laughs> who, you know, the classic line, he sleeps with the fishes. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Luca Brazzi, one of my favorite characters, because he just, he doesn't oh. have a lot of scenes, uh, but it's just perfect. Not a lot of scenes, but he's got some, he's got some memorable scenes. Yeah. Sure. So there's a couple of those characters, they have a little bit more light shed into them. But other than that, it stayed pretty faithful to the great source material, which I think was good. Because like you said, the main overarching theme is you have the, the rise 
and fall and then the rise again of the Corleone family, which is this powerful family. And, and the story is based on reality where there were these five families in New York, uh, especially uh, particularly 70s, 80s was the highlight. But the five families in New York were these big crime families who had legitimate businesses, but of course, these corrupt uh, influences. And of course, these Corleone family, they're just led to be shown as such sympathetic characters and you, you, you're following on their journey. And right off the bat, I got to say, you know, Brando, this, of all the films I've seen him in, and I've seen quite a few of them, this just will always stick with me. I think for everyone, when you think Brando, it's going to be Brando Godfather. I think it was. Yeah, I mean, of- it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of what is probably he's best known for. I mean, he's, he's had, he had such a, a amazing career in film, but he really became such an interesting person off screen that it's funny to read that he actually was not uh you know francis was like i want brando for the dawn and the studio was like he'll never be in this film uh and then eventually they agreed to terms of all right you can hire marlin but he has to one do it for free and then two he's gotta put up a million dollar bond in case if anything goes crazy like they had such high high you know demands to allow him to keep Brando and then another one that they did not want was Al Pacino was a, a new a new guy on the you know yeah he the, was the, he was the, one of the new kids on the block a lot of people had done this on Broadway and um you know they they did a lot of screen tests and you know even to the point where he was cast and you know in the book I'm sure you could talk about this it said that Michael's supposed to be a, a more of a taller guy blonde hair you know they went with a really like true Italian look. I mean, you know, of all the, you know, I would say him and Frito look the most Italian of the sons, of course, compared to James Caan as Sonny, who, you know, is a great character in himself. But really Al Pacino, it's like in his youth, he he really looked like true Italian, that Sicilian yeah, look. Exactly. He had that look. And I think, you know, we always read these Hollywood stories where they're like, how, how do they, you know, why would they ever think to not, cast out after you see the final product you because we're blown away you get it you're like oh i get it because michael's a tough role michael's a tough role because he's you know for lack of a better term he's a boring character for the first half of this movie yeah he's it's not like he's really doing much until he has to step up and take revenge for his family and then the real michael comes out and that's where it's like Pacino is just like mesmerizing on screen and which is actually true story he he was not favored by the studio it wasn't until they did the big uh, dinner scene where he takes out the two guys that they were like okay this is working and which is filming can continue well over an hour into the film <laughs> oh it's a yeah that's not like an early part of the film and even like Francis Ford Coppola was having they had like another guy hired that was just kind of shadowing him in case francis was going to be fired any day and it's just like so weird to think of the lack of faith in this project and the director this is a great theme that you're bringing up because we've talked about this with jaws i think some of these great hollywood films of old and and this is that brotherhood that you know they all went to film school together you know spielberg george lucas francis for crippler all those guys were like in that same they're all friends they're all buddies and yeah, they all had to kind of like prove themselves. That one film. And then once they all did that one film, like the studios couldn't get enough of them. You know, it's it's so funny that like 
the godfather has become such a huge icon of cinema of pop culture and there was a period of time where it may have never happened because the studio was like they weren't buying it they weren't they weren't into it they wanted to set it in like modern day and you know in the 70s they didn't want to do a period piece with this with this material it's just like it's just crazy to think like what could have been had the studio got their way instead of francis really sticking with his guns and being like no this is the movie i want to make well and talk about brotherhood it was kind of crazy though even cope um you know they were conspiring against copeland to get him fired at any point and once they had brando brando was like he threatened to quit if coppola's fired so Mm -hmm. you know and i like this trend we've seen in hollywood where you've got casting right up against back in the directors we've seen that with Guardians of the Galaxy and other mm-hmm. things. So it is really beautiful to see that old style of Hollywood has transcended and stayed today. But yeah, there were so many issues really starting out before this film even you know got off the ground. And what's amazing though, the film did get completed on schedule, actually ahead of schedule, which is actually cool. A lot of films, not always the, the, the case. Especially if one that long. <laughs> you have to remember, it's a, it's a three hour film and that's, that's cut. So, of course, that means that they filmed many hours more than that and then, you know, nailing it down. But, yeah, it's it's nice to think, like, this was that kind of, there was kind of the age where it was really believing in the, the film itself and in the project and not about the studio and not about the money. You know, this, you know, I'm, as, as the movies went along, and, of course, it was much more popular, yes, contracts got bigger and all that stuff, but it really was, like, no, we want to want to make the best film we ha- we can, and I mean, yeah, continuing the great casting. I mean, you got you, you said Pacino, you got Brando, you got James Caan as Sonny, you Robert, got Robert Duvall, Duvall, Tom Hagen, you know, um, you got uh, Talia Shire as Talia the Shire, t- yeah. uh, the young uh, daughter as Connie. You have uh, Diane Keaton. Yeah, as, which, yeah, as as Kay, the as, love interest. As Kay, uh, the poor kind of outsider girlfriend turned wife who has to kind of deal with all Michael's shenanigans. And then who's the name of the guy who plays Fredo? John Cazeal, is that his name, right? Yes. And, you know, crazy thing. That rare actor, that he's only been in five films, but look at the five films he's been in. in his, yeah, you know, and unfortunately. Died young, unfortunately. Died very young, 42. But he, the films that he was in, and of course he actually did, we'll talk about this later, did actually three uh three films actually with Pacino, not just mm-hmm. uh, one extra one besides Godfather, but there's just an amazing the casting choices. You when you go and you look at this final product, you think like this was destiny. The the casting was great, and every character, no matter how big or small their part was, is very memorable. And we're talking about quotes. Just I, I'm geeking out about this. I'm so excited. There's and Chris is just looking here laughing at me because I'm just my hands are I'm like very Italian right on my hands, which is very fitting. But you're just, instead of instead of going Hercules, Hercules, you're going Godfather, Godfather. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there's just and we'll talk about quote of a film, of course, you got you know, uh make you offer and can't refuse. Uh mm-hmm. it's nothing personal, it's just business. Yeah. Uh, you know, take the gun, leave the or no, sorry, uh, leave the gun, take the cannoli. Take the cannolis, yeah. Uh I mean, just something and like the other one, um, uh, you know, uh, never tell anyone outside the family what you're thinking. Just there, yeah. there's so many, there's something about this film that's also kind of like a business mentality, not only about family, but it's also like how you do business. It's like, you don't, you know, just the whole idea is like, you know, 
the whole well, never never, never go against the family yeah uh i think that's actually i think you know if we're looking at what what works the best for this film is i think it's just the attention to detail of the italian family the italian heritage and the italian culture i think francis ford coppola put a lot of work and detail to knowing like this is the type of wine glass we need this is the type of that food we need that's the kind of look for that costume this is the music that we need to be hearing there was so much about this film and especially the first two i didn't really notice as much on the third film but especially the first one it almost at times feels like you're watching a documentary. That's what you said. And I, I could see that where it doesn't feel like you're, it, it feels too real. And, and, that's I, and it's saying. not like to say like, it's not because I felt like I was bored or it didn't feel like I was watching a movie, but there's just some moments in this that it has like a real feeling about it. And it, it's also, you know, at a time where uh, cameras were not as sharp. You know, I think today we're so used to such sharp imagery that works for a lot of like sci-fi fantasy action stuff but the way that those cameras were kind of grainy back then it actually makes this movie feel even more timeless because it just feels like was this movie made like 80 years ago last year what you know it's it's just compelling so i think it's it's something about the look of the film the way it feels and that detail of all the the way they talk, the way they do business, the way the family interacts. There's so much of it that I think was a, a respectful way of telling like what realistically is, it is like for an Italian American family, whether they are with, you know, a mafia type situation or not. Well, I, and yeah, again, to the filming, the fact that they they shot all this on location in New York and in Sicily and props to, again, one thing that we will always take with film, you and I, I think, are big appreciate, um, have a big appreciation for, excuse me, is a score. And talk mm-hmm. about a very iconic score uh, by Nina Rana. Uh, just that that whole theme, it just, and then again, that had just been parodied years and years. That all, and it just, it's a very iconic, but also haunting melody because you have this, yes. because at the end of the day, the films, and especially the first one, it is a very Greek and Shakespearean tragedy. And that's mm-hmm. why we say it's such a timeless film because there is, you're rooting for these characters and a lot of these, many of these characters that we root for, they always have the best intentions because they're doing, you know, you know, I'm going to take care of my family. You know, doing all these things to, to take care of their family and, and provide a legacy and provide a living. They're doing what they have to on a necessity. But they do it, and the consequences um, aren't always as positive as the intentions. So, you know, there's this so many times in this film, there's just these tragic moments where you're like, no, and and you get really invested in the story. And I don't know about yeah. like with you, how was you know going back and watching the first one again? You know, what would what, well, I think what's it's, what's compelling about it is. You know, we're talking about the 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 liking of a villain, the the sweeter side of of these villains. So with you know Vito, you're you're looking at a man that you know the tradition is uh, on on the daughter's wedding day. It's his only daughter, Connie, getting married. He has to um, grant any favor that's asked of him. That's just a tradition that's passed on. So as he's the godfather, a bunch of guys are coming in asking favors. So he's like torn because he wants to be there for his daughter on her wedding day he wants to dance with his daughter he wants to celebrate but his duty as a godfather is to answer all these you know favors 
so you're seeing the sweeter side of like he's trying to help people he's trying to do the right thing but sometimes there's that gray area where the right thing is beheading a horse and putting it in someone's bed or having a guy taken out or you know like there's all this dark seedy stuff but throughout the whole film we're seeing this side of the dawn that is like he really does have a love for his family and there's even that great scene when eventually you know he kind of you know he finds out that it was Michael that did the job, uh, you know, killed those two guys and had to didn't go to Italy for a while. And there's that whole great scene where he's talking to Michael and he's like, I never wanted this thing for you. Yeah. I wanted you to be, a, you could have been a lawyer or a governor. You know, he's like, he has this whole sense of there might've been one of my kids that never would have been, you know, had the actual smarts to get out of this. Yeah, And he, you know, I think at the end of his life, he's kind of looking back going, I have no regrets, but I didn't want this to haunt my family because then, you know, he also is dealing with the death of Sonny. So he's, he's lost a son and that eventually he dies. And then we're seeing this kind of, you know, we'll eventually see this repeat itself in the following film. So I, I thought it would, you know, it, it had, the, had the fun elements of the, the those mafia movies. You get those moments where it's like, Oh, uh, that guy looks that guy looks shady. I, you know, that great, what a great shot of, not a big action looking shot, but that shot where Brando's just out. He's getting the oranges, which, and he kind of just looks up, and you you see the guys running, and he starts to like just jet out, and then he gets shot a few times. It's just like these quick time shots that make it very uh suspenseful without making it too cinematic no exactly I and mean, even like the scene where sunny gets gunned down at the toll booth you know oh something's going on something yeah the moment the guy drops the change i was like that's because I, I i do remember that sunny dies like i was like i remember that he doesn't live but i kind of forgot how and then he's just going and i was like dude you did yeah but even like the scene where Michael's shooting down the two guys at the dinner. I mean, that kind of cool that back and forth up. shot of oh, uh, wow. the buildup of they keep looking back going like, what's taking him so long in the bathroom? And then he's like really trying to, he's like, did they put a gun here for me? Like I have to try to kill these guys. And he keeps going back and forth. And just this, this, this moment where I think Pacino really shines. And this is where the character turned for me is when he finally comes out of the bathroom and he sits down and the guy's talking to him and we're starting to hear, the train going by and we're just knowing that the, and you're just seeing on his face he's kind of looking back and forth and you can tell like in his head he's going i have to do what i have to do for my family and then he shoots and kills his guys and he is out and from that point on it's like it's a whole nother character and we start to see this change to eventually what he becomes the new dawn which i was like okay you know you could take in that and if that was the end of all this what a great film. A great film with, you know, it's got a lot of great acting. It's well-directed, great screenplay, the cinematography, the way it's shot, that kind of documentary style, as I said, the music. It's just a great film. Absolutely. It just... And it's away. like, and it and it deserved, it's, you know, you know, it did well at the box office. It became this huge blockbuster hit. It, these amazing awards and nominations. Awards and nominations. And yeah, it, you know, for a movie that, seemed to not think it was going to have any legs it did very well and it was going to lead to to sequels and it's just like not surprising because if it seems like such a weird like ancient part of history now the godfather but it really resonates to even today of being like 
no, this is still like one of the best films of all time ever made. So, and of course, I'm glad to rewatch it, but I was with every great film, it's not always that you get an equally, if not better, sequel. And we get that rare sequel that is as good, if not better. And we'll get to The Godfather Part Two right after this. Relive the unforgettable classic film trilogy that has defined a generation. I believe in the podcasts. Please create more podcasts. Podfather. Someday, and that day may never come, and may call upon you to be a guest for my podcast. Until then, accept this skit as a gift. My father taught me many things in this very small closet. He said to me, Keep your mics close and your pop filters closer. It's too late, Podfather. They've already got a theme song. I'm gonna record in my podcast jingle. He can't refuse. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my headphones. You broke my headphones. If they don't have me on as a guest, we go to the mattresses. It's all at war. Listen, this is a podcast. It's not personal. Sonny! What's the matter, Pop? I never wanted this life for you, Mike. I podcast my whole life. I don't apologize to entertain the masses. I thought when it was your time, you wouldn't record a podcast. You'd be a doctor or a lawyer. It wasn't enough time. That's another podcast episode. Like the cannolis. You told me you'd never become a man like your father. My father is no different than any other powerful host. Any man like talk show host or social media influencer. Don't you know how naive you sound? Talk show hosts and social media influencers don't have their own podcasts. Oh, yeah? No, I was being naive, Kay. Mike, you don't talk to another podcast host like that. Fredo, you're my co-host and I love you. But never take sides with anyone outside the podcast ever. Just when I thought I was out of this podcast, they pulled me back in. Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola's The Pot Father. So I don't know about you, but that looks pretty good. That was intense. I had chills. Talk about talking about suspense. Well, anyway, we're back here talking about the Godfather trilogy. Now we're on to part two. Yes. Which came out two years later. Um not but again you think what's funny is they think like some of these movies take so long to get a sequel sometimes it takes so long for the film to be you know uh greenlit you know but i think because the godfather had such a huge success right away i think the studio was probably like we gotta have another one you know and and you know nowadays we're so used to movies being planned out two four six eight ten years in advance this was a different, a very different age of Hollywood where there wasn't as many movies being made as there are today. Or let alone, so, let alone sequels. 
yeah so it was pretty easy for them to be like yeah you gotta remember this is all still like pre-star wars so we're we still haven't had like that big hit by lucas to where there would be kind of the start of the sequel blockbuster with empire so yeah the godfather part two this is my first time to watch this film and i'd heard for many many years how this was as good if not a better sequel and i can see why it's hard to say though that it's it's like i can understand that argument but you can't make that argument unless you have the godfather attached to it like as a solo film i don't think it's as good or better than the godfather it doesn't without the godfather yeah, it doesn't it, it wouldn't work on, as well it doesn't it's necessarily not a stand on its own legs i mean there but the what makes this film unique is there is this juxtaposition where you have the uh, more of the rise of Vito Corleone of flashbacks of him as a kid and how he gets to America and he and begins the family. And you have Michael at the height of his power as he really starts to um, get deeper and deeper into this life that he didn't want. And that, he, you know, he proposed and promised to Kay that in five years, the Corleone family were completely legitimate. And, you know, that was five years ago. And you see as he descends deeper and darker into the role of the godfather and i I think i think i think this is pacino's best film of the three in my opinion i i would agree i would agree there's a lot of intense moments this yeah this is where i sleep this is where my wife sleeps where my kids play with their toys yes (laughs) um but no yeah so definitely a cool thing was you know they're thinking okay how do we continue the story we got puzo back to help with okay where where's michael's story go now but then it was smart to be like, well, we kind of Brando's character was kind of in a way this almost like you said, like a Greek myth. It was like a mythical character because he's kind of like this the big head honcho of the family. Yeah, he, how did how did he so get, like how, how did he get to be the godfather? How did he get all this uh power and guy. yeah? How did this how did this family come to America and be where they are now? So it was smart to be like, well, let's do flashbacks to show a young Vito. You know, coming to America, finding his feet, getting you know, kind of his first take involved with the, the world of the mafia, and eventually becoming the Don he is. And it was so smart to cast Robert De Niro because De Niro had auditioned multiple times for the original Godfather. He auditioned for Sonny, and I think he auditioned for, I think Michael as well. But you know, he he had been seen, and they they said that the problem with his Sonny was they wanted Sonny still to be somewhat likable. It wasn't like they wanted Sonny to be all killer. And they said De Niro was this tough guy. He was just like tough with his audition. So they passed on him, but it was great that they cast him for this. And De Niro being the, you know, consummate professionally is, he knew that the majority of his role was not going to be in English. No. It was going to be in like true Sicilian Italian. So he took many weeks to study. And then he went and lived in Sicily for three months before shooting this film so he really did not only his homework but he went and actually lived in the culture to be hearing the language all the time and i mean he looks very authentic in this film you know he's he's got that he's got that kind of he actually looks skinnier than I've ever seen him in it you know he's really really young in this film yes. one of his first earlier films but he's got this you know kind of younger not really tough guy image you know sweet just you know he's he's working at a shop and he's kind of you know doing this 
But then when he starts to have that turn, you start to see that that bulldog come out. I think he really nails that when he needs to be a tough guy and he, when he when he goes and like you know he kills that guy with the the towel around his gun was like such a great shot. But then in the end, you see him with the mustache, and again he's more of the he's now the Don. We see him more of that powerful player where he's you know is that that's I love that part where it's the one guy who's the landlord, and he's not even have to tell this guy who he about is, talking yeah. down the price. The guy just out of fear keeps looking back and forth at his henchman. He's like, you know what? Actually, five bucks less for it. And he just kind of looks at him. Oh, really? and he's like, actually, no, no, no. I mean, uh, uh, 10 bucks less, 10 bucks less. And he's like, all right, good. And like, he didn't, you know, that power was there. And he's like, he's only been considered the Don for like a very short time. So th- that was a cool mini storyline. I actually expected more of that in the film. Um, I was surprised how little of that story was in the film because this bad boy is three and a half hours long. Francis, it's a little long there, my friend. <laughs> three and a half hours long. I'd say what a good maybe hour or so of it is probably dedicated to yeah, De Niro's Vito. story. I would say and then the rest would, is yeah, Michael. The rest is focused on the modern time with Michael and dealing him. What I will say again, like with the first one, I like the idea is how they kind of base a lot of the story on real events. So it does mm-hmm. play into like the Senate hearings and, you yes. know, with Arnold Rothstein, who is a real character, a real person of history. There is, uh, which of course we, we get to appreciate him in um, Boardwalk Empire uh, years later. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I really like that. But I go back to Al Pacino. He has such, again, at times a very subdued performance, but there are so many intense, angry scenes where, uh, and him and Diane Keaton have some really great stuff to work with in this one. Um, oh, and of course that one scene, oh. that one scene where she, she, she tells him about, it wasn't a miscarriage, Michael. It was an abortion was like, and you see his face, oh, like, you could see his face turn, you know, cause he's like, what was it? Was it a boy? And yeah, we just see, we see a ghost of a man. We see a man that used to care so much about doing the right thing and now that he's in this position it's like was that was he like did he always was he always meant to be a don was like that always going to be his destiny was that in his blood it's that idea are we um nature versus nurture are we you know because all intents and purposes when he first started out he was young despite his family influence he went off and did his own thing it was only Mm -hmm. when his family needed him he knew he had to be become something more um so i think that is an interesting thing is it is it is it in your blood is that i mean and then of course it's again that family legacy is you know is it within your blood or is it your birthright and those see those themes excuse me transcend throughout the films even into the third one but especially in the second one and what's a great part of that film is the dynamic between the two brothers where you've got yeah that was uh <laughs> i i remember hearing the line before but yeah. it never you know again you hear these famous lines from these this these set of movies yeah but you don't have the context I, for them <laughs> i had never had the context before so like i've heard the line before i knew it was you frito you broke my heart i've heard that i've heard that Fre- line before Fredo, not frito or dorito <laughs> you said frito oh, fredo okay <laughs> fredo frodo frito whatever um <laughs> And the other one, like, uh, we'll talk about, you know, uh, in the end here. Um, 
just when I thought it was out, they 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 find a way to pull me back in. I've heard that line before, even though I never seen part three. But no, it was you know <laughs> so dark when you think of it's again that Shakespearean style tragedy where the one family member who feels he was left out and was not loved enough and wasn't respected enough to be put where Michael's you know he he should have been Michael's position as the older brother. So then in turn he thinks he's doing the right thing, but it ends up being like a, you know, going against the family. And it's like, there's so much that they can forgive in these movies of stupid actions or, you know, what's the matter with you? You wouldn't, you, you, you know, you wouldn't kill that guy. Like you weren't supposed to do that. But when you go against the family, it is like automatic death sentence. It's yeah. like, it's not like, you, you know, your you know, cousin twice removed or out of the will. In these yeah. Sicilian, in these mafiosa families, it's it's it doesn't matter if you're blood. It's it's and we're not we're not talking about like you know messing up a sandwich order here. I mean <laughs> like he he like, literally I didn't want cheese on that. He, okay, and there was that that scene that oh, I knew it from the moment he said it that I was like, we're this is the scene. It's coming up. I could tell they're at that big party event, and you know they're kind of introducing each other to certain characters. Yep. And at that point, you have johnny ola and michael introduces him a great great casting early on of course uh dominic chinese he would later on uh be in sopranos which is kind of cool um but like you know he introduces him and he's like acting like he's never met him and then they're going down to watch this like weird kind of like sex show and he's like oh Frito's like Johnny Ola takes me here all the time. He's got the best guys, and you can just see Michael in the back. He's like a few steps behind him, and he's kind of looking back and forth. And he hears that as Frito keeps talking about it. And then literally, you see him just put his hands down over his head. He's starting to rub it because he instantly knows. He knows what he has to do. He knows. Oh my gosh, my brother has has done me wrong. He he's lying to me, and and so we have that great very yeah it's kind of like an operatic scene where he he pulls him in and he's like i knew it was you and he kisses him and he's kiss like you broke my heart death. That's what and then is. instantly he can tell that the rest of the film you know connie's trying to beg the michael to forgive fredo and it's just like you see that is that his name fredo fredo, fredo. how do you say it it's fredo, fredo. he keeps saying fredo okay fredo <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't help it anymore. Shows how much you're just holding on to it. I'm sorry. I'm, Fredo. I'm the nerd I'm just here. I'm gonna think Frodo. I'm just gonna call him Frodo from now on. Um, <laughs> you didn't. You, you didn't put the ring in the mountain. <laughs> you broke my heart, Frodo. Um, <laughs> but like the way that he acts the rest of the film is this desolate man. I mean, he looks weak. Well, that whole, that one of the last great scenes they have is there's this scene where he's just laying there despondent. He's just like, like he's a marionette, you know, with no puppet master. Uh, good, good reference. And, you know, Michael's trying to, he's, he's trying to keep it cool, but he's just like, you know what? I'm just, I'm done with you. And, you know, I, I always, you know, and he, he lashes out at me. He's like, I always took care of you. Like, you took care of me. I was your older brother. I take care yeah, of you. I was your older brother. I was passed over. And, yeah. you know, and it just, some of the best acting that one scene. And it's just, and then his sister Connie is just like, you know, he loves you so much. And then you, he goes and he gives him a hug and he's like, oh, 
you know, I forgive you. And the sad part is it's, you know, their, their mother passes away. Mm-hmm. And then right after the mother passed away, it's like the only reason I was taking care of you because our mother was alive. And then that just that last scene when he's on, he takes them out in the fishing boat and, you know, it's, it's, you know, no more for, for I do kind of like, they do this in all three films. They have this moment near typically near the end of each film where it's like mass revenge. It's on good. Like the revenge montage. Games. It's like the revenge montage and they, you know, they go back and forth. They're showing images of the person, you know, usually it's Michael or in the third film, it's, it's both Michael and Vincent, but they, you know, they keep going back and forth and you're seeing all the, the, the final <laughs> revenge murders happen in their glorious fashion. And then they're going back and just showing like, you know, the image of Michael. And it's just like the power he has, like he, you know, he's done. And I love that shot. It's such a cool shot where you see Fredo going out on the boat and he's about to go out with his nephew. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Connie's like, no, come on inside. And he's like, all right, I'll get, I'll get a fish for you. Don't worry. And you see, as the boat starts to go out, there's just this really cool. It was very, it's a very haunting shot where they show like the lake house and you see Michael just kind of step forward in the image and just stare. very like very phantom of the opera. Like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I just agree. Watching the boat going out, knowing like, my brother's about to be killed and it's because he's got to be killed because of what he did to me, which really is going to play a huge, a huge part in three of, you know, again, facing these demons, but we do have the other major plot line in this one. You said I, it was really cool. I love these scenes with the Senate hearing and, you know, we we're so used to now hearing all the time, these stories of, uh, you know, bad people in government and we're watching these scenes where it's like we're watching like senate hearings where these people are questioning members or ex-members of the corleone family and in no way do we want to have any scene where it's like they say something there that gives them up and puts them in jail we kind of have this weird again the fighting for the bad guy we have this kind of moment where we're kind of like I feel like there's the shady Senate members, which we know some are actually villains to the Corleone family in this film, but we are kind of like rooting for, and it actually adds to some really funny dialogue. I think some of the guys they had on the Senate hearing did some funny bits where it's like, were you a member of the Corleone family? It's like, what? I uh, did his garden for him. You know, they, they would make stuff up because yeah. they know that they would never go, they would never well, say the truth. And I think you know? that's what's great about the novels and what the films did is they kind of brought all those ideas into the lexicon of not only just what we view as like the Italian culture of the, mm-hmm. the mafia, but also, you know, pop culture of the mafia in general, where you've got the, the, the Cosa, the Omuerta, which is the, uh, you know, you don't, you don't talk about it uh, with anyone outside the family you know, yeah. no one, if you ever, if you're ever pinched or if you're taken by the law, you know, I'm using all the terms here. You'd be pinched. I love before. it. You'd be uh, pinched. Yeah. You don't say anything. You don't rat out your friends. You don't rat out people. Uh, that's why they, they kill rats. And uh, I mean, it's just some of these, these terms that they, they became part of everyday sayings, it, it, the idea of, you know, not, you know, speaking out and it's like when you're in the mafia, it's like you're in for life, whether you're part of the family or not. So yeah. it's know. a locked deal. Cause I mean, you know, you do some bad stuff, but you usually paid pretty well and you're protected and all that jazz. I did want to mention before we kind of finish off with part two, um, 
Lee Strasberg played Hyman Roth. And what's cool about this is he is an acting teacher. And I actually, when I was in college and I was, you know, studying acting, he's one of the teachers that I had books on and read about his stuff. And he's cast in this movie as this kind of other kind of Don criminal kind of mastermind that ends up, you know, feels like it's someone that um, Michael can go to for help. And in turn, you find out that he's actually been against him the whole time. So that was kind of a, that scene when they're in, um, uh cuba i believe it was right yes and they're up on the the roof they're all having the cake i thought that was an interesting scene where he's kind of like there's just this there's this power to him that's uh different in a way than what we've seen in like the first film because of the first film we it felt like we had you know you had the family and it felt like we had we had the really kind of typical like the other guy was you know the uh um he's kind of like the gangsta bad guy and like we kind of got more of that. This started to broaden out to be like, not everyone that's against the family is your typical. Like, it's not another. It's not a rival gangster. gang or family or something like that. Yeah. There's there's a lot more outside forces because it showed the changing of times. As times change, we've got to either adapt to the times or you know sink or swim. It's it's mm-hmm. and that was the whole idea that the Corleone family is not is is dying off and it's not. They're dying off. And even like uh, Robert Duvall's character, you know, he for so long, you know, being the the adopted one, being the outsider as well, he had a really good relationship with Vito. And Michael's starting to see that that relationship is not as needed for his kind of the way he runs business. And so we're also seeing a small descent of this man being like, you know, I think it'd be better if you uh, moved to Vegas. And you moved your family, and uh, you go run that instead. I think uh, we're gonna have someone else run the branch over here. And he's kind of taken aback because I think it's like he's kind of needed that job for so long because he was that kind of silent enforcer for the family. He knew how to be the silver tongue that could talk the talk without having to be the muscle. And so that was kind of I thought interesting uh, storyline as well. But definitely too, it, it is it is a solid film. It is that cool back and forth of like you said the father to the son seeing the parallels seeing that michael is slowly but surely also kind of becoming a more and more alone which is really going to paint the picture for the kind of i guess you would say surprise third movie that we got many years later um coming up as we'll talk about that but Final thoughts on part two, Taylor? Well, I will say um, I have to, I do a little, I'm going to retroact something here. I tell you Hyman Roth is a fictional character in the story, but mm. I think he's based off a lot of Arnold Rothstein, uh, the character mm. that was a real uh, person during the you know, Prohibition era. But again, to your point, yes, I I will always love the first one more so just because I'm a huge Brando fan and all that. But I thought what was a everything that made the Godfather part two great was the fact that it, it did everything in a, in a even more tragic and Shakespearean tone that, you know, you really fall in love with. And again, uh, Pacino at his best role to this day, I think no, no other role come close to this role in this film. And uh, I'm yeah, excited. He's, he's, uh, he's really great in this and, and De Niro, you know, Kudos to him. He he won best actor, best supporting actor for his role in this film. So that Italian paid off. Yes, it did. But um, no, I I definitely agree with you. I feel like it, it's exactly like Empire Strikes Back in that 
as much as Empire Strikes Back is my favorite Star Wars film, it would not have as much impact if you didn't have Star Wars, the last, you know, A, a New Hope before it. Because you have to have that story and setup to the world, the universe, and the characters to then, oh, now we're going to get more information and more plot, which then makes that pivotal moment when we find out about Vader so much more, you know, it's like why that movie stands out. This movie stands out because we already kind of have all the information from the Godfather. And now we're getting to see more in depth about the character, especially about Michael. We're seeing more of that descent, more of his, his crazy patterns when he is violent. You know, I, I kind of said that to me, uh, Pacino in this film is like a Panther waiting to strike. Mm -hmm. It's like, he's very, he, he's got the ring on the look. He's hold himself like a Don. He's got such as kind of like gentle way of being. And then with a, you know, switch, he's, he's on the attack mode. And he is dangerous. And I think that's something that, you know, you look back at that first scene of the Godfather at the wedding, him just smoking a cigarette in his army outfit with Kay there. And he's very, you know, like, um, you know, she's asking like, you know, how did that happen? He's like, well, my father told him, you know, it could either be his brains or the money on the contract. And he's just like, uh, you know, he's, he's talking like, it's like just the simplest things. It's like, you know, it's simple as, you know. <laughs> It was already probably an inkling into his character was one day he's so comfortable with this, even though he fought the system for so long that it's just, yeah, it's part of his blood. So kind of excited that uh, we eventually would get a part three and we will get to that right after this. It's been 30 years since the last Godfather film was released in cinemas. Well, Francis Ford Coppola is back with an all new vision for the Corleone family. Teaming up with James Cameron, there are now five new sequels in the works to be filmed all back-to-back -back in the following years. A return to family, a return to suspense, a return yet again to Sicily, and a return to the world of crime with a side of meatballs. The Godfather Part 4, pulled back in, again. The Godfather Part 5, The Phantom Fredo. The Godfather Part 6, Vincent's Day Out. The Godfather Part 7, Every Kiss Begins with K. And finally, The Godfather Part 8, The Final Cannoli. The classic trilogy will live on in cinema history, but this new lineup has us bubbling with excitement. Stay tuned for more updates over the next few months as we reveal big casting news, set designs, and even plot descriptions. And that's not all. Universal Studios and Paramount Pictures have just made a deal for a brand new Godfather-themed area at Universal Studios Hollywood. You can ask a favor from a realistic animatronic of Brando's famous Don Vito Corleone, take a thrilling coaster ride to the toll booth, and even try your luck at the Mafia-inspired shooting range. I can't wait to check out the horse's head bar. That sounds like a hoot. The Godfather will never be the same, and with all these offers... How can we refuse? <laughs> Thanks for listening to Entertainment Now. Until next time. Mm. 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 What are you doing? What? Are you eating during this podcast? Yeah, so? Is there a problem? So? Good God, man. Your munching is distracting. Hey, I can't help it. It's this new seasoning I got. It's so delicious. Seasoning, you say? Yeah, from the Steel City Salt Company. Did you make that up? No way. It's the best store where it comes to getting all of your seasoning, salted, and spice needs. 
Since 2011, it's been bringing a new era of exciting flavor to Pittsburgh and the surrounding regions from their popular flavors like garlic herb, dill pickle sea salt, and black and gold seasoning. Sounds great, but I don't live in Pittsburgh. Doesn't matter. They ship nation and worldwide. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so go to their website and check it out at www.steelcitysalt.com to order now. Free shipping on orders of $39 and up. Don't miss, and let's spice up your life. Wow. I can't believe. I didn't realize that they were going to have so many more well, sequels. We're in that time of reboots and remounts, and I'm excited for all of those. Yeah. Maybe not the last one. That one looks a little That's, that, that was a little weird. I think they should just skip that one. But anyway, and we are back, and uh, we're going to wrap up this talk today, of course, with the trilogy of Godfather Part 3. Now, of course, with Godfather Part 3, I think with a lot of sequels, not many of them, but when you're part of a franchise, sometimes it's difficult to sustain that power. And of course, Godfather Part 3 has since been lauded as not a great film in general, but also not one of the best of the trilogy. But going back and, you know, Chris, you watched this for the first time. I myself have watched it several times. I still enjoyed it for what it was. But I think what sets this apart, and you said it perfectly before we got on here, was the fact that Godfather Part 3 is a very different feel, atmosphere, and almost style of film than the other two were. You talked about being a documentary yes. style, the other one. This is definitely a very 90s film. It's a very 90s film. This film came out in 1990, so we're getting, like, this is just, you know, filmed just pre the 90s. And you look at a lot of the movies of that time, especially, like, the action movies. I was thinking of, like, the movies like Die Hard or Lethal Weapon. There was this kind of look to the camera and especially with the action sequences, there's just kind of way a lot of shots were made. And there was key scenes in this film where I was like, that feels more like that style movie than a continuation of the first two. Now, that's not to say that I felt that way the entire time. There's plenty of moments in this movie that to me, I'm like, this is still a Godfather movie. It is a continuation of the story. It's kind of cool to see what's been happening with the family years later. And the thing that was very clear though right away and i had to like take a second and like remember okay this is a time jump is al pacino in those first two films handsome it's got the slick black hair very smooth voice right away we start this film up he looks like he put his finger in an electric socket He's got this like kind of weird spiky gray hair. He looks like an old professor at a college. He's like an old like Frankenstein professor or something. And you know, it, I was telling Taylor this made me laugh. It was like in the first two films, again, they're filmed like pretty much back to back, 72, 74. So it was not like a long time between. This is a young apple, you know. You know, he still had this yeah, a young voice. You know, he was not, you know, my father, you know, my father's a, you know, blah. blah. Then this movie starts and he's like, oh. Ooh, like I was like, I yeah, and was, there's the Pacino we know of today. I know, the 90s Pacino. 90s, you know, you know as we said, uh, 14 years of cigarettes, and then you <laughs> you get into this. So yeah, do, I, uh, do I smell cannolis? So it took me a little bit to get used to. It takes you out of the experience talking for that way because there was something so correct about the way Pacino, the way his voice was naturally when he would talk as Michael. It was not. Yes, there was those moments where he would yell when he was upset, 
but it was it, it made you scared when he would talk to you in a tone that was very gentle but what he was saying was very dangerous and that was why i thought he was so great as michael in this first well movie. again you said like that panther ready to pounce like he's yeah. very beautiful and alluring but any second you know but and... i mean he does still have that in this film there's moments where you know we're seeing an older more successful michael you know he's 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 had you know he's been running you know, uh, the business for a lot longer now it's kind of branched out he's in new york and there's just there's moments where i was like okay he probably doesn't need to have such a tight leash like he used to but it just yeah it took me out of the film a little bit at times because he does have that raspy type of voice but he is dealing in this film a lot with his past especially with he's still coming to terms with the death of his brother which of course he was the one to put the hit on his brother so um there is that, a, that plays a big part in this film which i thought was, was like of, that was smart yeah. there was and the the fact that this is set during the time um, of you know there's a bit of the corruption in the catholic church so they were set around yeah. uh so which that I was thought, very that was very creepy to me and i really actually like that in this film because again with the the aspect of italian culture italian heritage you know the catholic church being really the main kind of religion for most italian people and the idea that you know it is such a kind of secret of society itself you're like you know the mafia it's like we only know so much that we're told catholic church is the same there's all these kind of underbelly things that happen when so so that being a huge part of this plot that the catholic church is involved with this kind of scheme and they're actually scheming against the corleone family because in this film, Michael ends up putting up a really handsome uh, amount of money to basically own a bunch of shares and become like the main shareholder for this company that is involved with the Catholic Church. So he, you know, which could lead to maybe, you know, people picking who the next Pope would be. You know, there's, there's so many things that could happen with if you control the Catholic Church, which is kind of terrifying to think about. But um, I'll say right off the bat, I think a smart there was two smart casting choices that are the main additions in this film. Uh, first off, you have Andy Garcia who plays Vincent, who is Sonny's bastard son. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a great choice. I was like, okay, that's a cool way to continue the family legacy because who was Sonny? Sonny was the hothead. He, he always, was a womanizer. And, and womanizer, of course, the, in the first movie, there is you see him as womanizing ways. So it it would not be out of the realm of possibility that you know he would have a couple of little sunnies run around yeah. with different ladies. So yeah, it was great. And I thought the casting was good because I could see him, he did have the look a little bit of he could be the son of of James Conn's character. It was a uh, Joe Mantenega who was was great as a uh, as uh joey joey zaz right i think is the name joey, was. Zaza. joey zaza yeah yeah who uh <laughs> kind of you know again these there's so many characters they all have these names and so it's hard to remember them but you got me that's what you got me for yeah but that first scene you know it, you know they're having this big kind of uh again a lot of these movies start off with the party scene or some kind of big uh, soiree going on but vincent is there and you know, Michael eventually gets to meet him and he's like, this is your, uh, this is your nephew. It's uh, Sonny's kid. And he's like, oh, okay. And he's like, uh, so what are you doing here? And he's like, I got a problem with Joey Zaza. And he's like, so what's your problem? And he, he's claiming that Joey's been talking behind his back, 
saying bad things. And they do this really cool moment where um, it was fun to look at the behind the scenes of this. There's just a moment where Michael's kind of like, look, none of this is my problem. Why don't you guys just, you know, kiss and make up, be good pals. And then Vincent bites this guy's ear, <laughs> in a, it, which is a true like Sicilian insult of, you know, because what Italians do all the time, they do the kiss, kiss on each cheek, you know, so you're right there and he bites his ear and, you know, pisses them off. And there's a lot of these impulse moments where Vincent doesn't think he just goes to attack just like his old man did. So that was kind of, that was a smart, uh, those, the casting of those two was pretty well done. It's a great, it's a great passing of the torch. Uh, maybe, maybe a lot of these times in the, in the nineties, there was a lot of these, you know, the old wise, uh, the Miyagi, he's the Italian mm-hmm. Miyagi and passing the torch. So there was that idea that he is Michael. And, and we were talking about the Catholic church. He is trying to gain forgiveness and redemption for his sins. His sins yes. are catching up with him. And of course he wants to, he wants to break away from all this. It's, you know, he's trying to, they're pretty much completely legitimate, the Corleone family. And of course he's got both his kids, uh, which very interesting enough, of course, his daughter is played by Sofia Coppola, the, the daughter of Francis Coppola. And she actually, fun fact, I don't know if people know this, she actually played a couple roles in the other film. She was um, the the baby they he had for of the baptize, uh, baptism, mm. the first one. And she plays an immigrant girl in one of the scenes when Vito, young Vito. So that that was kind mm. of cool part two. But uh, you see the kids are often doing their thing and, and you know, he's... Uh, Kay is estranged from Michael, so there's that estrangement there. But now he's got Vincent as this young, you know, person that could, you know, he a wants protege, to potentially could take over the family business and, and take all away this from him. And he kind of sees that there is this loyalty about him, which is why he's like, you know what? I'll take him under my wing. I'll train him. And the first scene that I really okay when I was saying earlier that I felt like oh this is a '90s movie was. It's a cool scene. I'll say that much. It's a cool, like, from just a, a, a action standpoint, from a plot point, there's a scene where they're having this kind of cool meeting of the Dons in this big kind of circular round table at some high-end hotel. And Joey Zaza's there. And at one point, he gets kind of angry and upset, and he leaves the room. And all the other people are there, and, and then they start hearing this rumbling. And they're like, what the heck? And Vincent gets up immediately... And starts to grab Michael and he's like, it's a hit, get down. And then a helicopter shoots the window and starts Speaking gunning die hard. all these dons. Yeah, actually, it was funny. It was Bruce Willis was flying the helicopter. Yeah. It was John McClane was like, giddy up. Yeah, yeah. Happy, um, happy trails, Corleones. <laughs> Can you imagine? But it was it, it was interesting shot because it's not like the helicopter actually comes into the building, but you only kind of see a glimpse of it. But all these people are getting gunned up and then, you know, they're trying to like break, they're trying to get Michael out. And it was, I was just like, this is like, you know, if you look at the first film, the most intense gun moment of the first film is Sonny's death. And then in the second film, like right in the beginning, there is an assassination attempt on Michael at his house, his lake house. And it's like a huge bunch of bullets into the room, which, you know, we lead to that great scene of where my wife sleeps. And when my kids play with their toys, then in this one, it was like, I can tell it up even more. We're going to have, we need a helicopter and more bullets. So that's when I was like, okay, this was a little more uh, intense. But the second half, especially for me, was, was, was true Godfather style. We're getting this, you know, these moments where 
Michael is dealing with his his pain, his past, his death of his brother, owning up to that. We're seeing the plot thicken of the people that are against the Corleone family and the smarts that Michael knows to be like, I think, um, I think Vincent, I want you to, to pretend to go against me and join this other older Don played by Eli Wallach to learn about his, what's going on with him. And, you know, I think there's something about him. He's, he's still that Panther. He still has this knowledge to be a little ahead of the game. And it all kind of leads up to this ultimate final sequence at the opera house. What I really think is really interesting is you're talking about um, having Vincent and, you know, I want you to go to the other family and, and see what they know. And all what that. Don Altobello. Yeah. And there's this whole. Learn his ways. It's taken, it's taken it like all like, you know, 180 or 360 back again, because like very similar harking back to the first film where they look abroad, say, when you go back to the family and talk to them and find out mm-hmm. there's all that, all this, the, these themes come back. And it's that I also, yeah, that history repeats itself, but uh, going to your saying about the opera scene, Again, true Godfather. This is, was very Godfather. Yeah. I think it was really cool because we're, we're, we're a nice thing is earlier in the film. You know, again, we've talked about this idea of when the family wants to not go along with the family business. Is Michael's son is like, I don't want any part of this. I want to be an opera singer, and he's you know, he's okay with it, but he has this hesitation of what happens if you fail. What if happens? You know, works out. You know, it's like you're going to be turning down this line of work. And he's like, no, but Kay's the one there to be like, this is his passion. Let him do it. So they end up going to this big opera event where he's, you know, a lead singer in it. And it's kind of sweet because even with all their problems and all the stuff, it kind of lets Kay and Michael have this connection again. They have this moment to bond again over one of their children following their dreams. And, and they're also seeing that their daughter who has been like, working with this foundation and you know there's something about like they're kind of like their kids are are kind of bringing them back together again and there's a yeah, love because you know. because before all the before he you know got it back in the family business is they had this love for each other and it was just twisted and corrupted that you know there was that love for who he was because he was always throughout the story you know he's a good man he's just mm-hmm. trying to do right by his family and to continue that legacy and I do love, and I'm glad that they had Diane Keaton throughout the whole films because it was nice to see that relationship of theirs, of the the blossoming and then the decline and then the rekindling. And I do like the fact when they would go back, when they went back to Sicily and, you know, he's facing the pass of, you know, his first love, his first wife that he got married to there. And it blew up, yeah. Apollonia and she had her tragic end. I love that part. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to get every reference in here possible. Uh, but that whole opera scene again just it's that goes back to that music and it's just such a tremendous like that foreboding and I gotta get props also Talia Shire and this one because she definitely like her character has a great arc of like she's the kind of the whiny little you know spoiled brat in the movie where she's just you know kind of get married off and she's the abused wife and the other one she's kind of like you know this trophy wife she's just getting married around and she'd like I don't want to I don't want to hear you Michael whatever and you know, you killed my husband. And then this last one, she's really matured because she's, she's taken Vincent under her wing too. Is yep. like, kind of like, you know, being his, you know, her, you know, his, she is his aunt. So she's kind of taken him like, to be like, you know, 
caring for him and looking out for him and being on his side. And yeah, it leads up to that great scene where in the end she takes out Don Atabella. I mean, she, she, a poisoned cannoli and he's eating away, but that's, what's so great about the opera scene is you got this opera going on. It's telling this foreboding story of these two guys against each other in this Italian language. that's beautiful. And we're seeing, you know, the family watch it and they're so supportive, but then we're getting all these cool shots of all the stuff that's going on, not only in the opera, but the other hits that are happening, like at the, the Vatican or at this place, you know, it, it is in, it really is so like, you look at, there's so many movies now where we see these scenes at like, like, for example, one I can think of that reminds me of this, think of Mission Impossible 5. There's a huge whole scene where Ethan has to go into the opera house while the opera is going on and take out the one guy. And like, you would never had any of that without this kind of like, you know, what came before. And this was really, you know, yeah, I'll say it's not the best of the three. It's definitely holds its place at number three, but although it's a long one, it's three hours as well. The last hour really owns the film. I think it like really leads up to a powerful last hour, which then leads to tragically the, you know, the death of his daughter and we get that shot of michael literally you know michael's had a stroke in this movie and he's he's he got punched in the first movie and he's dealt with loss of his father of his of his brother of his other brother you know there's been all this stuff that's had you know his wife and we see the culmination to this point where everything's built up in him and then even though he thought he finally would be out everything that's that's happened to this point and then you know this hitman unfortunately does get a few bullets on him and then one hits his daughter and kills her and we just see this pain on his face oh this tragic scene where he is like you see him nothing's coming out all of a sudden just this blood curling <gasps> scream like no and then you look over and like even you see that scene where Kay's looking at him and she just sees like that's the man that that's that's he, the the whole all the mystique of this this monster is pulled away and it's that just that such a tragic ending and they have this montage and you see that so i mean the, if you want to look back on these this movie on these trilogy it really is the rise and fall of michael corleone it's this his tragic fall, they, you know the very end the last shot is he's an old man by himself yeah and he dies alone with no one around him so it's just yeah it's the, the the tragedy of michael corleone is is really what the godfather trilogy is about which is which is interesting because and i think we we can talk now we got to go into a little bit of the legacy of what godfather yeah. was but i will say about godfather part three told you about this exciting stuff which i am pumped about because it'll be interesting to see what he's done with this francis Ford coppola did do a coppola restoration of the trilogy with making you know redoing the you know the color and all that uh, but what we're coming out with was supposed to be doing a theatrical release, probably will not be due to COVID, but he will be doing a Coppola director's cut of Godfather mm-hmm. Part 3. It'll be a little shorter, not tremendously, but it will be, I believe, renamed Godfather Part 3, The Tragedy of Marco Corleone. And it's going to be a different um, change in the ending in the beginning and some in the middle. So I'm interested to see what his final vision that he wanted for that film. Cause a lot of times director's cuts, they do a great job and sometimes it's better than what we, you know, got to see, but it'll be Probably. good. But 
we've hopped around and talked about this. We try to keep on. We did. I'm really proud of us. We kept on track with each film. But I will say, well, I mean, you you literally could you could do multiple hours on just one film. You know, we yeah. we didn't really go too far into plot. And there's you know, we we kind of skimmed through. There's there's so many side characters and and shorter characters and these films are massive it's it's its own massive universe of characters and some that do link back to the earlier films but no i i definitely think this this film series not only did it really branch out to make this new kind of era of like we said the mafia films the gangster films the crime films but i think it really kind of started to you know i think before the godfather a lot of movies that would base around this were kind of more hokey it was a little more stereotypical and they were and yes yeah, that is can... that is in this film too there's still moments in these films that are stereotypical but it gave it such depth and it gave it such reality yeah people... it wasn't the gangster films of the old where it's like it you took know, a more serious you know, you know and it's yeah it's just the bad guy I mean, lost you know godfather 2 won best picture uh, Francis Ford Coppola won. I mean, you know, a lot, most of the films have all had multiple awards and I think out of 28 nominations, all three films combined, um, nine wins. But that's that's yeah. pretty amazing to have that many nominations for pretty good films. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, without this, these films, there's also, of course, highly quotable films. The These quotes have transcended into all kinds of media from comedies to other gangster-related stuff. Other great stuff that we've had, of course, we had Goodfellas, The Sopranos, and again, we talked about the antiheroes. These characters like Vito Corleone and Michael Corleone, they created such iconic characters, the archetype of the tragic hero, mm-hmm. but also the antihero. Yeah. And it just, it's, you can't talk, you could talk about this forever, but it's just amazing what these films not only did for pop culture, but films in general, uh, just the way they were done and the dialogue, it was just so well done. Yeah. And I just, I, I can, cannot stress about how much I adore these films and what well, yeah, they mean. I will say being immersed back into the world of Godfather for the first time in a while, it's been a while since I've seen the first film, but watching all three pretty much back to back, I had, you know, I had to take some major breaks cause they are long, but, there's yeah. just something really enjoyable about these films and there's something that it, it compels you to want to keep watching and you feel like you're watching real characters. It feels uh, suspenseful and it feels tragic. It feels good though, too. There's there's those moments where, you know, especially the Corleone family, when they get that revenge on someone, you actually are like cheering. Like, you know, the, you know Michael in the dinner scene when he kills the two guys, there's something so like enjoyable about that because you're like, he, you know that creepy scene where he's going in the hospital and looking for his father and he's like you know we need more men stationed my father and the cop punches him and all you think about is i just want him to get that cop because he's a jerk and in the end he does. oh and yeah and of course the you know the abusive husband of connie and uh, carlo and when you know he gets sunny killed it's just that end scene where you're like finally and the whole baptism scene where all the heads of the five families get all whacked and it just, just again, massively done. And there is, you just, you're rooting for these characters, but it's a, it is a really beautiful film at the end of the day, this whole, this family that, you know, they care so much for each other, but they're doing, 
you know, these jobs that, yes, they're not glamorous, but they're doing what they have to do for the family. I mean, again, another great quote, and I got to go back to this, which I think is great because it still um, holds today true, is when Michael talks to Kay about her father, he says, my father's no different than any other powerful man, U.S. Senator or President. And she's like, don't you know how naive you sound? Senators and presidents don't have men killed. And he looks at her and says, now is buying being naive. And it's just such a, a great scene right there because it's it's so true. It's, it's like, like you what what sets this uh I mean look at the movie like the departed. Mm-hmm. I like that line there. He's like, whether you're cops or criminals, when you're facing a loaded gun, what's the difference? Yeah, and it's just so there's these scenes and that that whole mentality, Mario Puzo and what Francis Ford Coppola did was they created sympathetic story and an interesting look into what would ultimately we always see as these these villainous that organized crime i think it also has created such a fascination to this day of course crime documentaries and people are still loving to watch about these iconic people of history lucky luciano Mm -hmm. and uh, all these criminal characters but we are fascinated with them because of what the godfather created I mean, you look at all the stuff like Al Capone, like we can't get enough of it. Like there's so many movies, documentaries, things. It's just like, we're just fascinated by the idea of how can someone base their entire life and income around criminal activity. And another thing we're going to have coming up, which is actually, I think is a really cool idea. As we talked about earlier with the, especially the first film, there were so many problems with the making of this film. We're getting a somewhat fictionalized biopic called Francis Meets the Godfather, I think is the running title currently. Uh, You're going to have Oscar Isaac as Francis Ford Coppola and Jake Gyllenhaal, I think, is playing one of the studio executives. And so it's about, it's going to be a movie about the making of when they were trying to film The Godfather and all the problems. So that could be, that's going to be interesting because, you know, I think what's going to be cool is they're going to probably have actors cast as these younger actors that we know in this film. So like, you know, it's like, who are they going to be casting as a young Brando? Who are they going to cast as, you know, so that could be, that can be a cool thing, but I do wonder if down the line, you know, again, we're in this world of reboots and relaunches. I wouldn't be surprised if the Godfather was something that would be done again in the future, not by Francis Ford Coppola, but I think if it, it's done, it would probably be after his time, after his time. Maybe. And I actually wouldn't be surprised and, you know, again, we're kind of gaining more and more momentum to limited series more than movies. It'd be interesting to see, like, you know, they could do a whole series of, you know, because we only get these brief moments during part two, but they could do like a whole series that's set in like the heyday of Vito's time as a, you know, younger Don. They could, you know, there's so many things they could do with that. They could do a whole series of what happens when, you know, what does Vincent do post part three? You know, they, they could, there's stuff that they definitely could still touch on. Um, well, Andy Garcia, I mean, he's still in, uh, he's had a great run in the last uh, four films in the last several years. I would love to see if they, cause they had plans for to do four. a fourth one. And that was going to be set more in the eighties. And I, I would love to see if they decided to do it with friends for Coppola or maybe another director, because I think that would be still a great story. You've got, and you, and, and the great thing is you, if he changes the director's cut, God part, part three, you could have a lot of the actors that are still alive today come back in some form. 
And like I said, it's a lot of them are still out there. I think that would be great, but it's the legacy of the Godfather continues to ripple throughout time. And I think that we have not, as you said, with this upcoming film, we have not seen the last of the effects of what Godfather series has created. Nope. They'll, they'll be, they'll be a favorite, favorite, you know, big chunks of cinema for a long, long time. I still think currently there was, I think the last time they did one of those big, like AFI best hundred films and the Godfather was like, second on that list after citizen kane so definitely films that are gonna remain true icons not only of cinema but of the mafia gangster film uh genre so anyway but, um, anyway yeah go you know but until we gotta go yeah we gotta go but until that day except this is another great podcast uh for you and all your friends thank you thank you socleoni you were just You've made me an offer I, I actually can refuse, um, but I have a coupon. Does that count for anything? Buy one, get one free. Oh, what a deal! Your what? coupons are always good here, Mister Dillon. Deal. Thanks for listening to the Potential Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Potential Podcast, or on Twitter at the Potential Pod, or you can email us. Send us your positive feedback and thoughts, suggestions, and more through our email, thepotentialpodcast at yahoo.com. I'm your host, Chris Dewar. And I'm your host, Taylor Sokol. Stay tuned for more episodes on pop culture, entertainment, and nerdum. And remember, know, know your, your potential. potential.